welcome to ABC Gotham, New York's amateur history podcast. My name is Kate, and with me tonight, as always, is Kathleen. Good evening, everyone. And we're saying evening because we're actually recording. This is one of the later recordings we've ever done mm-hmm. in terms of what mm-hmm. time of day we're recording. And um, so, Kathleen, we're on season two. Yes. And we're on our third episode, which is letter C. So what do we have this time? Folks, tonight we'll be telling you everything you wanted to know about crack. And possibly stuff you didn't want to know. Crack cocaine, crack in New York City, the crack epidemic. I'm sure you were all very curious about this. And and I think we've got a theme going here, Kate, of whatever we do the letter C, it's really, really bleak. It's pretty bleak, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's grim, heavy stuff whenever we do the letter C. I don't know what it is. A C is a depressing letter. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. And our apologies to people out there listening now whose names begin with C. That must have been hard for you to deal with throughout your life, and, you know, we feel for you. I am actually a little excited about this one. It, uh, mostly because the research I did, I didn't know a lot about the crack epidemic. Just kind of... Yeah, stuff you heard when you were a kid, but I was pretty little when this was going on. Me too, yeah. And neither of us were in New York City when it was the worst, when the 80s were the worst of it. Really awful. And and you showed up, what, 96, 97? <laughs> Not quite that late. Not quite. <laughs> oh, you were, yeah, I was like 93, you moved here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I thought you meant what year I was born. Oh, I know what year you were born. Yeah, but... I moved here in, in 98, so... Okay, okay. The crack epidemic... As as it was was long gone. And yeah, one you were was well into the Giuliani area era when you moved yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Times Square was still a little scuzzy, but was slowly becoming Disneyfied by the mm-hmm. time I I moved here. And you moved mm-hmm. here in two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. yeah like wow, I got that right. And hey. so New York had, was pretty clean by the time you yeah. got here. Yeah, they cleaned it up, and then I arrived. Yes, yes. You're welcome, Kathleen. I appreciate that, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm, I, I will get into it a little bit, but a little of the debunking of the crack epidemic, um, mm-hmm. in terms of crap, the crack epidemic being a myth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and hyped. So we'll get into that a little bit, but first, Kathleen, what is crack? What is crack? Well, I'm going to tell you all about that. So some of you may know a lot of this already. Some of you may know it intimately in your very veins. And for you, that's got to be rough. Addiction is very difficult. And this is one of the bad ones. Crack is cocaine, basically. It's derived from powder cocaine. I have a recipe for all of our listeners, so get your pencils and write it down. You need to get your powder cocaine, and you dissolve it in a solution of baking soda and water. The solution is boiled, and a solid substance separates out from the boiling mixture. This solid substance is crack. So you remove that, and you let that dry. And there you have a fresh batch of crack. What's so the stuff this that's is left over? The, the juice? Yeah. I don't know. I guess you could drink it. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. What is left over? Listeners, if you know, write in. Let us know. Um, so you've got a solid substance you've made from your, from your powdered cocaine that you boiled with baking soda. Not baking powder. Don't mix those up. What a faux pas that would be. Baking soda. So it's removed, it's allowed to dry, and then it's, it's like a solid block. And they break it or cut it into rocks. 
Each rock typically weighs one-tenth to one-half a gram. One gram of pure powder cocaine will convert to approximately 0.89 grams of crack cocaine. It actually has lesser mass. Um, and the Department of, uh, what's the DEA? The Drug Enforcement Administration estimates that crack rocks are between 75 and 90% pure cocaine. So it's almost the same thing as cocaine. It's just cooked up and sold in a block instead of in powder and you smoke it instead of, or you inject it instead of uh, snorting it. So because crack is typically smoked, yeah? Oh, um, I was just going to say, but uh, when you cut it, when you're going to boil it, you can Mm -hmm. increase the mass and make more money by adding other substances to the cocaine uh, to kind of thin out the cocaine a bit, just so you can make more money, which is the really bad part, because then you get all kinds of toxic substances that people are splicing into your drug yes uh yes this is almost as much a risk as the drug itself is is the users were not aware of what else was in there and uh and there's no way that i'm aware of to test something like that and frankly if you are uh an addict that's probably not your highest priority at the time so i'm not sure what they would mix in do you know what they would use to to cut it with would that just be more baking soda? Would that be lots of? No, I read like lots of stuff that I wouldn't. Want. I heard bleach. I read bleach somewhere online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I read. I, I'm not. I mean, kind of anything. Boric acid. I think I read somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, kind of whatever you've got. Like yeah. you could just add a, a, a myriad of household items to <laughs> cocaine and make still make crack out of it, but then. Mm-hmm. you know, what else, exactly what's in it. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, if you know what it is that's in crack that makes it less than 100% pure, let us know. I'm just curious. Um, so because crack is smoked, the user experience is high in less than 10 seconds. This is immediate. This is euphoric. And this is why crack became huge. Why it was enormously popular, for lack of a better term in the 80s. Um, Another reason, now this is according to NIDA, National Institute of Drug Abuse. Um, They say another reason that crack uh, became so popular is because it's inexpensive, both to produce and to buy. I believe it may be inexpensive to produce. According to crack users who I've spoken with, it is not cheap to buy. So your mileage may vary on that. I know the, the Wikipedia article had it, like, listed, what, an ounce could go for as low as $2.50 or something like that. Um, right, in, in 1984. In 84, right. You can convert that to today's dollars using the handy website that we use for that. So, so that is what crack is. And Kate will now share with us the physiological and psychological effects of crack. Right. I, I realize we probably should have said this at the beginning of the episode. We're not at all promoting crack cocaine. <laughs> I would hope all. our listeners would be aware of that. I know, okay. but I just, we were going into all these details and I really want to throw this out there. Um, as a, just a side note, drugs are bad. Crack is whack. Yeah, just say no, guys. Really, crack is whack. Uh, and this is why. 
So as Kathleen said, it's an it's an instant high as opposed to some drugs which take several a few minutes to uh, hit this high. It's you go from nothing to you know just out of your mind in seconds. Um, when you first take the drug, it acts like a local anesthetic, so uh, it numbs it, your tongue or your mouth. Hmm. Uh, wherever the smoke enters your body, um, that's where you immediately will feel this numb, numbness. Uh, wow. Think of no So just, just wherever the smoke touches. Exactly. So your wow. lips. Um, they, they will say, you know, just down the middle of your mouth, not your entire mouth, just wherever right. you imagine smoke going. Mm-hmm. So you immediately feel euphoric, supreme confidence. It's a lot of the same things as cocaine. Uh, you also get a loss of appetite, insomnia increased energy, uh, immediate, and then it goes into craving for more, paranoia. Uh, so it's, you start out really great with this euphoric high, and you end with this terrible depressed, euphor- depressed uh, paranoia. And the high uses a, to get this high, your body lets out an amazing amount of dopamine all at once, which causes the euphoria. A dopamine dump, we call it. Yes. So it's about five or ten minutes. The high does not last very long. And then you immediately are depressed and low after all that dopamine. And your response, Kathleen, would of course be, well, then I just need another hit. So then you take another hit, but your body takes a long time to build up that much dopamine again. So each hit... Um, in rapid succession, is l- your high is less and less. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you just don't have the neurotransmitters. You just don't have the dopamine to get that same high. Exactly. You won't hit the same high again as you did the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a person could actually binge. There's been cases of people binging on crack for three days without sleep. Just uh-huh. constantly taking hits. Wow. Um, which, of course, then my least favorite side effect is um it leads to, this can also lead to delusional paratosis hmm? paratosis sorry i'm mispronouncing that but the um the fear that you're infested with parasites oh my god if anybody's seen bug um it's a good uh movie that i have really not shows. for this very reason <laughs> yes it's it's terrifying uh, and so people will actually scratch and pick at their skin till they bleed, um, thinking they're getting these bugs out. Unbelievable. Oh uh, the physiological God. symptoms. Um, short-term constricted blood vessels, uh, dilated pupils, your whole body temperature is increased, your heart rate and blood pressure go up, um, large amounts of crack cause um, bizarre and erratic and violent behavior, Mm. Uh, tremors, vertigo, paranoia, paranoia is always there, Uh, and you can also, there's a lot of cases of sudden death due to cardiac arrest or seizure, and because you, well, this, what happens is you have a seizure and then you have respiratory arrest, and this can happen from just your first hit of crack. This isn't like a long-term... Really? That's not just propaganda? Really? Yeah, because some people, oh it's such a crazy high the first time that yeah. 
some people maybe you don't know you have a heart murmur and mm-hmm. you that's true. do crack yeah. and then that's it. Um, and if you hadn't done crack, it wouldn't have been a problem. But you exactly, stressed. exactly. But yeah, there are cases of people who have died on their first hit. Wow! 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 Oh wow! We'll get into a little bit about the um, the addiction part of it later. Uh, when it came out, it was known as the most addictive drug ever. Um, which I would like to get into the controversy of that in a bit. But, uh, I mean, I can see why. Because you hit that first amazing high, all your dopamine is spent, and then you want to get back there and you want to beat this depressive, paranoid, you know, spiral that you're going down into. So you're going to take another hit. And exactly. you're going to take another hit. And mm-hmm. that's kind of why it's so addictive. Is because as soon as it wears off, you're in such a bad state. Right. But you know how to change that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And because you can, you know how quickly this drug works, you can hit, you hope to hit that high again. Right, Really right. quickly. You, you are almost certain that you're going to feel just fine very soon, and you're not. You're never, what I've heard from the movies that I expect is probably true is nothing's as good as that first high. You, it, you'll never get that back, ever. Right. So let's get into the epidemic now a bit. The Um, quote-unquote epidemic. Right. My favorite quote about the epidemic was um, from Schumer, actually, our wonderful senator, Mm -hmm. who said, uh, 20 years ago, crack was headed east across the U.S. like a Mack truck out of control, and it slammed New York hard because we just didn't see the warning signs. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's so true. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it re- I mean, as much as I'm going to come on the other side of this em- epidemic, it definitely did devastate populations. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was as early as 81 that we were first first hearing about crack. You're still you're first seeing it in the newspapers or hearing about it on the street. And that started in Los Angeles. Then, like, San Diego, Miami, Houston, in the Caribbean. But, for lack of a better term, and we'll get into this in a second, the epidemic started with really large-scale crack use in 1984, and that's in L.A. And what's funny is it spread to other cities. It was all over the Northeast and the South. So it started on the West Coast, but... The drug's worst impact, you know, looking back on this, was really on the northeastern and the South Atlantic states. That is where it it really took a toll. Um, and uh, 70% of the impact of crack was felt in large cities. And according to researchers who studied that, cities with the very worst problems, the worst, worst crack problems, Los Angeles, New York City, Philadelphia, San Diego, Oakland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., Boston, San Francisco, and Seattle. So it got everywhere. It, to pretty it was, much every big city. Yeah, yeah. Not Chicago. Woohoo! Yay, Chicago. You guys are safe. And that's mostly because they're, I mean, it's coming in through the ports, the cocaine. Um, I have that early in the 1980s. Um, cocaine was being shipped. This is kind of where it hits the East Coast. It's coming in through Miami from the Bahamas and Dominican Republic. And there was 
uh, for some reason there's a, 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 hu- a huge amount of cocaine just floating around and they're like, what are we going to do with this? Mm-hmm. And the prices dropped for cocaine right. because there was too much of it. They flooded the market, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Too much product. So drug dealers start making the decision to convert the cocaine into crack. And that way you can sell it in smaller quantities to a lot more people. Right, Kathleen? Yeah. And so that was just to make it more portable or just because they couldn't sell it in teeny tiny amounts as powder cocaine, but they could sell it in small. I didn't quite get that shift. Did you did you get that? I also was wondering about if there was crackdowns on uh, drug trafficking at the time. Maybe. Because then if you're converting it into crack and you can sell it in smaller pieces, maybe it's being shipped that way. Or if you're caught with it, it's less of a risk because it's smaller amount. I don't know. I don't know. Listeners, if you know about the, the socioeconomics of crack, please write in. Let us know. This, this would be helpful. Um, I do know that uh, because crack is so che- was so cheap um, as at the time, you know, you have this huge amount of product going around, cheap, easy to make, ready to use, and uh, it's very profitable for the dealers. So that's kind of where crack gets its start. Exactly. And one thing they pointed out, and I thought this was really interesting, was that the the crack epidemic obviously correlated with a sharp increase in crime on an absolutely unprecedented scale this you know something they'd never seen police departments had never had to deal with before especially violent crime of course between 84 and 94 the homicide rate for black males ages 14 to 17 more than doubled wow more than doubled and Homicide rate for black males age 18 to 24, so the next age group up, increased almost as much. Almost as much. During this period, the black community also experienced an increase in fetal death rates, low birth weight babies, weapons arrests, and the number of children in foster care. So, uh, in 1996, approximately 60% of inmates incarcerated in the U.S. were sentenced on drug charges. More than half. And that, yeah, a lot of, like what you were saying is, one interesting point is crack became popular in cities that were in social and economic chaos. So that's like LA, like Atlanta. Poor people didn't have jobs. And drug dealing became one of very few ways for an unskilled worker to make a living. And honestly, they made a nice living. They made a lot of money. So you can imagine how very, very motivated you would be to protect your business and your investment in your product. Uh, And if it comes to violent crime, then so be it. Yeah, so it's just, it's a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this drug hits the market at exactly the right moment. So this, so immediately, well, not immediately, a few years into it, so around 1984, 85, the this what's going on with crack is hits the news and is being called an an epidemic. This is where you get the term crack epidemic. Um, this is where crack babies comes into play. Honestly, it's hard to think about crack without thinking about the crack quote unquote epidemic. There's, it's hard to separate those out in my mind. Right. I yeah. Me yeah. Me too. Me too. 
I was kind of shocked to learn some of this, but it uh, creates, using the word epidemic, there's suddenly a moral panic mm-hmm. and explosion of use and trafficking of crack. This all happens after the media starts calling it an epidemic. All of a sudden, <laughs> it's, like the, it's like, wait, there's a new drug called crack? I haven't heard of it. It's like the media wow. really blows it up. Um, so the media promoted the crack. It did, but then the media holds on to the story for way too long. It's almost like there's this crack epidemic explosion, and then it's gone. And But the media holds on to this crack story forever, like they're holding on to Anthony Weiner and his sexting scandal. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's such good news. It's such good headlines. It seems so timely now to say that, but in six months when somebody listens to this, they're yeah. going to say, oh, Anthony Weiner? Who? <laughs> it's, and it's, that's amazing. It's, it was a horrible drug. It was a horrific thing going on. You know, this, you know, this wasn't a, a made-up news story, but the quote-unquote epidemic. Is never as That's bad. a strong term, yeah. Yeah, it's extremely strong term. Um so this is where we're going to get into the media spin. So I'm going to tell you a couple things. So Newsweek at the time called Crack the Most Significant Story Since Vietnam and Watergate. You know, it is significant. I don't, you know, don't want to underplay that. But yeah, go on. I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Time labels it issue of the year in 1986, two full years after the crack epi- epidemic. Like <laughs> two years later, time is like... This is a problem. Oh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. 1988 to 1989, Washington Post ran, are you ready for this, Kathleen? Mm Mm-hmm. 1,565 crack stories in one year. Are you serious? Yeah, this is the Washington Post. Say that number again. 1,000 what? 1,565 stories on crack. 1,565 in a year. In a year. Is... This is... Now we're four or five years away from the explosion yeah, of crack. Yeah. Wow. 1983, Newsweek compared the addictive properties to potato chips. Kathleen, you can't just eat one. Hmm. You can't just do one hit. <laughs> uh, that, that feels more like marketing to me, yeah. So here's the funny thing. So everything I've told you about the media and the epidemic and the mm-hmm. explosion of use... Mm-hmm. Uh, illicit use of crack actually peaked in 1979 to 1981 and fell before the hysteria began. Really? Yeah. In 1986, survey data showed uh, three of four people tried the drug and never used it again. What? Wait. I heard in Newsweek that that's impossible. Well, Newsweek has it wrong. Wow. But, I mean... There is other data going kind of against this. You do, sure. like Kathleen said, have the murder rate in New York City doubling mm-hmm. between 85 and 90. Mm-hmm. Um, but And this is largely due to turf wars between drug dealers. Um, oh, a really good statistic I found was in... So we're going to go a little bit more in the future. Mm. 1993 and 1994, the Washington Post ran a couple studies that said younger... that uh, called it the younger sibling effect. Hmm. So kids who saw their older siblings and parents getting into trouble with crack use, um, addiction, jail time and everything, were 
far less likely to ever go anywhere near crack. They were steering clear. They didn't want to touch it. Yeah, exactly. So you have this one generation, this one group of people who are doing drug, who are doing crack, who get addicted. Yeah. Sadly, most mostly ruin their lives. But then, rather than it being this true epidemic, which continues and keeps going through the next generation, and right, the next, right, and the next. It propagates on and on, right? Exactly. People see the the effect of what this drug has on their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They see their mom or their brother or their or their dad or their uncle. Yeah, they see yeah. how it just devours you. Yeah. And they're not like, well, that looks great. I can't wait to try some of that. They're like, I know. My mom looks awesome lately. I'm totally uh-huh, going to get hooked on uh-huh. that crack. They, they, they took that as a lesson and were like, I'm steering clear of that. I'm, yeah, yeah. So there's just two stories. There's... I mean, there definitely was a crack problem here. Of course. And in most major cities. Yeah. No one's denying that. Absolutely No, not. I, it was a huge problem. But by the time the media gets a hold of the story, it's not a big, as big of a problem as it was. By the time it blows up and it's all over the news, and when I remember it, when I was like seven, eight, it was not, it, it had long hit its peak and was going down so the i mean i almost want to give the media a a little credit i want almost want to extend them a branch like well we're still dealing with after effects and repercussions but really they didn't they didn't hit it when it was at its peak they didn't get it at that time it makes you wonder why four years later suddenly it's all over the news was it like oh there's a slow news day now we're gonna cover crack it's just it takes so long, and then it stays within the national attention for so long, and people are fascinated by. I hate to say it, but people get fascinated by really terrible news. Absolutely, and people became fascinated with it and fearful of it, and mm-hmm. it buying really... newspapers to find out what's going on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the media just caused a lot of fear and a lot of. I, I don't know. I, I, they it's were fear-mongering, yeah. To me, it's a bit, a little too late. Now, here's my question for you, and I'm not sure if this came up in any of your research. I wasn't able to find this, is, you know, by reporting on this, were they actually making it worse? Or were they just late to the party and crack had its peak and then was tapering off while they were reporting on it? Or did this somehow kick it up some more i mean my research showed that like it hit its peak 81 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it hit its peak people start covering it like supposedly the worst year for crack was 1984 but everything i had was that it's it hit its peak in 81 so this is three you know three years later is supposedly the big when you know the big crack epidemic so Right, right that couple years of difference is that's a pretty important. Strange. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a fairly big discrepancy of a fairly important situation that the public health officials had those numbers. They had that information. You know, this this was not impossible for the journalists to find out. But once you have this hysteria building, people 
you know, it, you just go with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to be the one newspaper that's out there saying, hey, guys, actually, crack use is... Uh, you know, this is not on that the down. A, you know, big people deal. aren't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's still a big deal, but you know, the the usage has actually gone down. But who knows? Maybe the reason it stayed down three years later was because you know there was so much attention. All the terrifying stories. It. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all that attention would have, ideally, I'd like to think, hopefully. Uh, led to development of community programs, allocation of resources to rehab centers, and uh, who am I kidding? It, 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 they added more cops. They, they arrested more they people. They did. Um, That's what they did. F- there actually were a few, um, a few neighborhoods, uh, especially in Washington Heights, which huh. kind of was uh, a really big uh, area for. Uh, uh, I think crack was the worst in Washington Heights. I believe it. Yeah. Um, it was the epicenter for drug trafficking because there was easy access, think about it, to all four boroughs, mm-hmm. New, New Jersey and upstate New York. Um, so this is was really the breeding ground for wholesale drug trafficking. Crack comes in to Washington Heights from Columbia um, and is... Uh, at the time, and now too, uh, Washington Heights was a largely Dominican neighborhood. Right. And they say because of the shared language, it was, you that, know, it's passed off to Dominicans. Helped. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where the big wholesale community starts. There actually was only one um, precinct in well, all of Washington Heights at this time. Completely overwhelmed. So overwhelmed. The 34th precinct reported over... 10,027 crimes in just over three square miles in one year. In a year? Yeah, 103 of those were murders. Kate! I know. Oh my god! A year later, the 33rd Precinct was founded in the lower half of Washington Heights. Okay. And that's the year you saw crime cut by half. Well, I mean... They divided it by the two <laughs> police precincts. <laughs> Cut by half. Whoa, how damn. If you still took the two precincts and put them together oh, as okay. if they were one, crime okay. was still cut in half. It's not like, uh, crime is cut in half. I wonder why. Because we divided it by two. Yeah. Because I, I hear that's how, I, I hear, I'd have to double check on this to be sure, but I'll, I'll you know spread this rumor anyway, that that's how they got the crime stats to drop so abruptly in the later 90s and early 2000s is they added more police precincts. And so they were dividing the number of crimes by police precincts. Whoa, there's so many fewer crimes. Your numerator didn't get smaller. Your denominator got bigger. So again, I would have to double check on that to be absolutely certain. But uh, that is, that is a, a trick that the police or and or statisticians like to use. But at any rate, yes, like you say, combined of those two precincts it dropped which is what it takes i mean you that's how you handle this you have to throw cops at it right Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that the crack problem disappeared in new york especially Mm -mm. during even during the 90s there still was definitely a big problem here oh it's still it's still here now yeah yeah right it's still a problem so it wasn't like I mean, I know I keep saying that it hit its peak in 81, but, I mean, it continued to be a problem in communities here in New York and in other cities for 
a very long time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's not gone. But one, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, neighborhoods banding together to um, fight this epi- supposed. Ep- I'm just going to call it crack. To fight crack. Mm-hmm. To fight crack. Uh, one such program was the West Side Crime Prevention Program, the WCPP, founded in 1981 to help make safer streets. Mm. Uh, there, I read some really sad, and this, however, it's a little like, it's, it's definitely the Upper West Side. It's 59th Street to 125th. They don't touch Harlem. They don't touch... Washington Heights, this is just the Upper West Side trying to clean itself up. Which, even then, was was kind of rough. You know, it wasn't the... It was rough. It wasn't Park Slope, you know, like it is now. And even Park Slope wasn't Park Slope. So, anyway, yes. continue. Um, yeah, so, you know, they, they do a lot to clean up the neighborhood. Uh, I read some really great, interesting articles about what it was like in uh, Upper Washington Heights, Lower Inwood at the time. Mm-hmm. And they had... They said it was like living in a war zone that oh, yeah. kids would never play outside. And then they said it was almost like at some point the war ended um, when they were able to finally take back their neighborhoods. People came out and met their neighbors for the first time in like 10 years. Can you imagine? You know, kids were finally allowed to play out on the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that struck me was like meeting somebody who lived across the hall from you. For 10 or 15, for, you know, for and 10 you years. you were terrified you've never... to meet them before. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, because the drug deals would go on in the hallways. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You don't know the what The dealers owned does. the buildings, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. That's so funny, because when I lived in Washington Heights, that was, what, two or three years ago. I was there for seven years. That is a family neighborhood. I mean, people sit on their chairs out on the street in the evenings and the kids are running around and the parents are talking and and you know shouting out to each other and I mean it's it's I I can't imagine that locked down I can't imagine that community living in fear like that but of course they were obviously they were for a really long time yeah it's very very sad well I feel like Kathleen we can't talk about the crack epidemic without talking a little bit about the CIA? Yeah, yeah, you're right. This does need to be addressed. So some of you may know this. I, I'd i heard a little bit about this before I started researching this, but the uh, rumor, uh, the uh, conspiracy, the belief that CIA injected crack into the ghettos to oppress them or and or to earn funds that they would then send to their allies, the Contras, uh, Nicaragua and everywhere else in uh, Central and South America. This was uh, a big deal when this came out. Imagine, I mean, if it were true, it absolutely should be a big deal. It should have come out. Uh, This conspiracy, the theory, was brought to the public eye in something called Dark Alliance. This is the title of a three-part series in a newspaper. It was in the San Jose Mercury News. Journalist Gary Webb wrote this. He later turned it into a book, Dark Alliance. Check it out if you want to. Um, Where he, you know, brought up all of this evidence about CIA, the, uh, their officials working in the field, their allies in the Contras, their connections to people in the Contras or you know, friends of friends of Contras who were working in the drug trade 
and where was the money going? He was the one who shined the light on this, which is admittedly an extremely murky, creepy, uh, potentially uh, atrocious situation. So he presented all this evidence. You can read about it on Wikipedia. I don't want to go into a ton of detail, but it did turn out that there was no hard evidence that the CIA as an institution or any of its agents, any of its employees, carried out or profited from drug trafficking. Hmm. There is this long two-part report. People testified before Congress. What they did find, and they and they freely admit this, the CIA, the CIA leadership did look the other way when they heard allegations of drug dealing on the part of their Contra allies. As, and this was reported to them by their operatives working in Central America. They, you know, there are rumors. This is what I'm hearing. Uh, some of our allies might be doing this. The CIA were like, you know, that's not our priority. We're not going to worry about that. We're not going to look into that. They, they literally did not tell their operatives working in Central America what to do or how to handle it. They just, it, it was just implicit. Just ignore this. This is not what we are dealing with right now. It's so shady. It is. It's still shady. I don't like it, but, um, but I do have faith. You know what I read about the commission, the group that looked into this. They were remarkably thorough. I, I, I do trust the conclusions they came to. Um, it's it's such a horrific idea in the first place, and I really don't want to believe it. So I'm sure there's some bias on my part that way, but. Uh, but it is certainly worth looking into, uh, reading up on its, uh, it was a very valid question. Gary Webb had a lot of good points. It was good that he looked into it, that he publicized this, but the very thorough investigation that followed did find the CIA, while not being particularly proactive in trying to fight this, they had other goals that they were working on, and this was not something that they could focus on. What they didn't do was conspire to bring crack to the ghettos, and that was the really important thing. One last thing that we could possibly talk about is crack babies, uh, which was, of course, uh, on everybody's lips in the 80s. Matt, can you imagine a better victim? Just this perfect victim, completely innocent, and, and they're filthy drug-using mother did this to them. Right. So cocaine can actually, is such a small molecule, it can cross the placenta into the bloodstream of the fetus and uh, can actually be in the amniotic fluid as well. And it can absorb, the fetus can absorb cocaine directly from the amniotic fluid up until the 24th week of pregnancy. Cocaine can also show up in breast milk, which, of course, when I say cocaine, I also, I mean... Crack uh, and cocaine. Crack as well. Crack, mm -hmm. it's uh, the same thing. However, um, there's back and forth on whether or not crack actually, crack exposure actually affects the brain. Mm hmm Well, did it, or, I mean, I remember hearing it, there was, like, low birth weight babies, premature Right, but you're also, babies. these women who are taking crack are also not feeding themselves very it's well. It's true, it's true. So, there's... There's plenty of other reasons, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, um, 
You have a, a percentage of women uh, anywhere up to like 17 to 25%, I think I had, of cocaine using when pregnant women could deliver prematurely, which can lead to low birth rate. But of course, healthy women can deliver prematurely and healthy women can deliver uh, low birth weight babies. Like it, it's important to keep in mind what the baseline is for something like this. Yeah, there's back and forth on whether or not this crack baby thing is a problem. They were saying that, oh, there's so many women who are pregnant taking crack during this so-called crack epidemic that we're going to have a whole generation of babies who are you know, children who grow up and won't be able to take care of themselves. Right. That generation of children never showed up. Yeah, yeah. I'm still wondering where they are. Yeah, yeah. Some people say that there is a link between crack cocaine use and problems with mental development. Mm, mm-hmm. But um, in most IQ studies, cocaine-exposed children score no lower than others. Mm. And actually... Children who are exposed to marijuana and alcohol in utero, I think, did worse than children whose mother does cocaine. I'm not saying at all that cocaine crack use is good during pregnancy. No, no one's saying Because there that. is also cases of spontaneous abortion. Of course. Uh, yeah. Where you have a miscarriage during pregnancy due to crack cocaine use. Because, hello, if it can cause you to have seizures, and if it can cause you to have heart failure, of course it can cause... It's a powerful drug, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They also were saying in the very beginning that these poor crack babies were at high risk for SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, but... That didn't materialize either. <laughs> yeah, because nobody actually knows what causes SIDS. It's true. Um, it's true. And there are so many other factors when you think about a woman who is taking crack during her pregnancy she's obviously not taking care of herself she could be uh, also doing other drugs statistically she's dealing with a lot that and that fetus is dealing with a lot there's the poor nutrition there's the the poor you know she wasn't taking folic acid i don't know i mean it it's there are a lot of factors involved in 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 that baby that 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 baby is dealing with a lot of things and so um a well-designed study is going to take those into account it's hard to say how well designed those studies were yeah mm-hmm. so anyway obviously a generation of crack babies did not doesn't exist we that's, don't have that's really the proof in the pudding if you will yeah Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying that there never were any, but I'm just saying that this part of the hysteria that came about with the crack epidemic were all these crack babies that were suddenly going to exist. And we, part of the hysteria was the fear that we're going to have to take care of them and who's going to pay for this. They they don't, that never happened. Yeah. So yeah. another part of the, the media hype for this terrible situation Mm -hmm. i mean i think the overall message from this episode in addition to just stay the heck away from crack and and really drugs in general uh it's a good plan is when there's something really terrifying in the news something that's selling a lot of paper something you keep hearing about read about it be informed but be alert you know keep keep your eyes open and uh and Maybe it's not as horrifying as everyone is saying. Yeah, something I've kind of learned, since, especially since we've started doing this podcast, is mm. take it with a grain of salt. There Do you your go. research. 
don't believe everything the media tells you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're out to make a buck as much as they have I mean, to sell they papers, and they're reporting they news. Have to sell but papers. they also have exactly. to sell papers. Yeah. Back when they sold papers, that's what they did back in the 80s and the 90s. I've heard. I don't really remember. I've heard, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah if one paper is telling this sensational story that could be true, then every other paper is going to hop on it. And that's to, when you yeah. get the public just kind of freaking out over, over, uh, yeah, I don't, it, yeah. It might not be as, as horrifying as, as they are. As they are portraying. Just be skeptical. Just just be skeptical. Be alert. Yeah. Well, I know this episode wasn't entirely New York based, no. but it did have a lot to do with the way New York is today. Mm-hmm. I think you wouldn't have such a big deal with gentrification and the cleaning up of New York without the crack epidemic of That's the 80s. That's it. I mean, people saw how bad it could be and, and you know, decided to, to change it. And, and it's working. Crime is down. Lots of other places, especially down in the south and along the eastern seaboard, mm-hmm. would, if they got a crack, if when crack became a problem there, they would say, well, at least it's not as bad as New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were right. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for tuning in this week to ABC Gotham, and we'll be bringing you the next letter in the alphabet very soon yes yes thank you so much for listening and any comments any questions definitely let us know please 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 yeah don't forget to like us on facebook Mm -hmm. and uh thank you kathleen thank you kate this was a good one yeah i'll see we'll see you next time i wish you could be here with me on this night in new york city i wish you for more abc gotham go to our website abcgotham.podbean.com special thanks to podcasting's brock music for abc gotham is by big rude jake abc gotham is a k2 production copyright 2013 all rights reserved This night of New York City.